Jeff Thomas, visited gardener and plant pathologist Pippa Greenwood at her home in Hampshire to talk about compost heaps. Pippa, tell me, why are gardeners so enthusiastic about compost heaps? Gardeners love a bargain, and compost is the ultimate bargain because you don't actually have to pay for it. All you're putting in is things that you'd otherwise have to be disposing of. So you're putting in kitchen waste, or the vegetable matter anyway, you're putting in garden clippings and prunings, grass mowings, so it's free, but it's also not just free, but it's incredibly useful. You can use it as a mulching material. You can use it to dig into planting holes so that the plants get off to a good start. If you've got a very sandy soil, it helps the soil to retain moisture so that it doesn't dry out as much, the plants don't suffer in dry weather. Similarly, if you've got a very heavy soil, it has exactly the opposite effect and helps to open it out. So again, the plant tends to do better. Someone told me that keeping a good compost heap going was a mixture of science and creative thinking. Now, is that true in your experience? Well, you don't just bung everything you can lay your hands on into a compost heap indiscriminately. You want to try and, first of all, get a reasonable amount of material in at any one time. If Every time you peel an orange or eat an apple and discard the core, if you just pop that onto the compost heap and then waited a week or two before you put anything else on, nothing much would happen. You want to actually get on a reasonable amount, say... 10 inches, so what's that, 25 centimetres a time, so that you've got a decent sort of layer of things that you can get some activity in there. And even then, you don't just bung anything on. If you were to put 10 inches, 25 centimetres worth of just grass clippings, say, you'd tend to get a slimy, gungy mass that didn't compost down, smelt really revolting, and brought a halt to the whole composting process. So there is a good element of science in it, and it's knowing what to mix in with what. So if I could take a giant magnifying glass and have a look inside of what's going on in that compost heap, what would I find in terms of changes, both the structure of the plants that are there and the materials that are there? It's an incredibly exciting world. If you imagine the man on the moon looking down on Waterloo Station on a really busy rush hour time, you see all the people milling around, you see the guys with the luggage trolleys and you see everything happening. It's an extraordinary sight, even from a human eye looking at that. If you imagine what's going on in a compost heap, it's like that combined with Gatwick Airport and a really busy supermarket on Christmas Eve. It's everything happening in all sorts of different directions. It really is a hive of activity. I can't even start to think how many millions of creatures, organisms, one way or another, are going to be involved in that compost heap. It's just activity in action. Elbow so to you elbow. enjoy thinking about those, yeah, I do. those <laughs> interactions. It's of huge importance to all of us. Even if you don't care one jot about gardening, it's really important because if things didn't break down, whether it was on your forest floor, whether it was bits of leaf that fall onto the M25 or whether it's in a compost heap, our whole world wouldn't exist. You've got all the wildlife, the bacteria, the larger organisms in there, but from a sort of breakdown point of view, what tends to happen is the softer parts of the plant will break down first. So if you imagine, say, a sycamore leaf or a horse chestnut leaf, something that you're likely to see almost anywhere, those green leafy bits in between the tough, rigid veins on the leaf, those will break down relatively quickly and disappear and then ultimately you get left with the leaf vein because that's got a lot of what's called lignin in it which is like a toughening material and that gets left behind and then later on when you get more breakdown coming on that too will break down but it all happens sort of in stages usually from start to finish with a compost heap upwards of 12 weeks really to get good compost out and that depends on what you put in temperature how you manage it and everything else. Now, in terms of those breakdown processes, is that something that's happening entirely spontaneously? Are there agents that are doing that breaking down that you need to try and cultivate in some way? They're a bit like the vultures of the micro world. 
They're doing a wonderful job of clearing up rubbish. And you actually get several different sorts of bacteria within a compost heap. You get those which like relatively cool conditions, which you have at the beginning when you're just chucking all your prunings and apple cores or whatever onto the compost heap, and it's fairly cool and uninteresting. Then later on, when it warms up a bit more, you get bacteria which like warmer conditions. And then ultimately, in the centre of the heap, where it tends to be best insulated and you're getting most activity going on, you get those which like a particularly hot environment. So you've got at least three sorts of bacteria. You've got lots of fungi. When you go for a walk and you're kicking your heels in a bit of woodland and you see bits of slightly gungy-looking twig and leaf beneath your feet, it's the same sort of thing. You sometimes see little fungal strands on those. Those sort of fungi and even smaller ones will also be involved in your, your compost heap. And then there are the big things, like the earthworms. So what you're really talking of is a way of manipulating the environments to make it a rather more intense version of the processes that we see naturally around us. Yes, you're taking something which Mother Nature does really rather well and you're making her do it even better because you're making sure that the conditions are as good or as close to perfect as you could possibly wish for all the various bacteria, fungi and so forth to do what they need to do in as quick a time as possible but with also the absolute certainty that you're going to get a really good end product, that you're going to get a lovely black crumbly compost that people always talk about on gardening programmes. Black gold. Black gold, yes. So what do those bacteria need then to keep them going? What are the conditions that you have to make sure for them to flourish? The main things you have to think about from the manipulation point of view really are temperature and moisture. It's important that the heap isn't too wet, which is why a lot of people cover the heap over winter so that if you get really heavy rain it doesn't become waterlogged. But similarly they do need a fair amount of moisture because what you don't want is a really dry situation where they won't be able to divide and, and do what they need to do. Covering heat will also influence temperature as well. It helps to keep it fairly snug. In warmer conditions, composting is a much quicker process. I would say that if you were making a compost heap over winter with exactly the same ingredients that you did in the same heap over the summer months, if everything else was perfect, just that difference in temperature, you would expect to add at least another month, six weeks, possibly more, to the composting time from start to finish. So it does make a big difference. But then also there are the nutrients. Everything needs something to feed on. And the bacteria and the fungi need the ingredients of the compost heap in order to be able to live and multiply and compost it down. So they need carbon, they need nitrogen as well. At some stage you're going to put the end result on the ground in front of your growing plants, aren't you, to do them good. What happens then in biological terms? What's being added and what happens to those nutrients at that stage? By the time the plant material or any other organic material that you've put into the compost heap has been broken down, the nutrients are actually in a fairly available form to the plant. So it's not like putting on something that's so complicated they can't actually take it up. It is actually in a form which can then be leached out of the compost and be taken up by the plant roots. So you're definitely bringing in a lot of nutrients, in particular nitrogen. But what you bring in with garden compost depends on what you put in. Can I make a mini compost heap? If I haven't got a huge garden and things aren't that easy to arrange by way of all the right ingredients, Mm. can I just try this out on a small scale? You certainly can. I mean, ideally, if you're going to make a normal-sized heap, you want it to be 4 foot by 4 foot by 4 foot, so 120, 120 by 120. Is that because it can keep its warmth? So that that it keeps its warmth and you can get these layers of the different bacteria doing their stuff towards the centre. It's less influenced by external factors if you've got a reasonable size. It's like having a good-sized community. It looks after itself better than one person living on their own. I'm not going to do this, but if I were to put my hand in the middle of a compost heap, it'd be warm. Now, that's important, isn't it? You actually see steam coming off organic material very very quickly we had some bark chippings 
where small twigs from large quantities of trees are being chipped up in a chipper. And we have them heaped up, I suppose, up to about my chest height, roughly, in a huge mound. And they actually start to steam within 24 hours. There's activity going on. Now, where's that heat coming from, then? That heat is coming largely from the activity of bacteria and everything else which is getting to work. I suppose it's a bit like you running up the hill. You're producing heat as you get to work to do something. Where do those bacteria come from? Are they there anyway? There are certainly bacteria around, but what you ideally want to do when you are making compost is introduce something which is already either composted or already in a semi-rotted state. So to make a compost heat work well, in between some of the layers of ingredients that you're putting in, you actually put garden soil or well-rotted manure, and that has got a really good thriving population of bacteria in it already. And they, as you know, multiply up really rapidly given the right conditions. They multiply up, they, if you like, think whoopee and go into action and start breaking down the next layer. They're then well fed, getting lovely and warm, lovely and moist. They're multiplying up even faster and moving into the next lot. So, yes, it's self-perpetuating. It's brilliant. I guess they work themselves from the outside into the bacteria. That's why you have to have things that are reasonably well broken down. Ideally, you don't put huge, lumpy things into a compost heap. Say you've got a really chunky cabbage plant or something with a really tough stem on it it's better if you break that down cut it into a few lumps before you put it in the compost heap similarly if you're going to add leaves to a compost heap it's fine to add a few but if you're adding really tough leaf material say something like a horse chestnut it's got really thick chunky veins on it it takes a long time to break down so either you make a separate leaf mold heap which is sort of just leaf composting on its own or you actually do what i do and put them in a large pile and actually jump up and down on them with a spade cutting them roughly because that increases the surface area so obviously then you've got more space for the bacteria and fungi to get in quickly so there's quite a bit of breaking down going on there it's not just simply the elements you've talked of the nitrogen and the carbon being released presumably there's things that quite sizable animals can take advantage of well within a compost heap you've got all sorts of kitchen and garden waste potentially and somebody like an earthworm is very, very pleased to come across such a lovely concentrated source of food. And to put it in very basic terms, an earthworm can take in a semi-rotting leaf, perhaps even a hardly rotted leaf at all, digest it, and, and out of the back end of the earthworm you get the worm cast that we all know from the sort of things that appear on the lawn. Wonderful, fine, perfect soil. So I suppose an earthworm is a mobile composter, really. And let's know how those animals get there. I mean, are they there to start with? Well, a good compost heap should always be built on bare earth rather than say on concrete slabs and that's because the soil that you're standing on this very minute is alive and kicking it's absolutely riddled with organisms of all sizes and shapes and if you start your compost heap on the soil they can actually migrate into they there migrate into because they found a superb place to live they found everything they need they found a community waiting to happen it's a, it's a ready-built five-star luxury hotel if you're a composting microbe of one sort or another. Are there ways in which an understanding of the basic science here can help you manage a compost heap? Without doubt. All sorts of things, moisture, air, temperature, need to be approximately correct. If, for instance, you get a lot of grass clippings going in, they may have a high nitrogen content, which is meant to be quite good. But because they can pack down so readily, you suddenly find yourself without much air space. So you get a slimy, gungy horrible stuff you don't want around the garden and isn't proper compost anyway so it's knowing in a situation like that 
that you don't just want to put your grass clippings on. You want to either put a special compost activator in with them, or better still, use some fairly coarse material, things like pruning some hedge clippings, that sort of thing, which will help to introduce air spaces into the compost heap. Sometimes, too, when you're composting, you get a build-up of acidic materials, and that tends to slow down the composting process because the bacteria don't like the compost to be too acidic. So that's why a lot of people put lime in periodically to a compost heap. It doesn't mean that the compost is going to turn out being alkaline or chalky and not suitable for eroded engines and that sort of thing. It just is enough lime to tip the balance to stop it being too acidic to compost properly. This is part of the invisible world that we take for granted, we never see. What would the world be like if we didn't have decomposition on this scale? What would it be like going into a woodland, for example? You'd never get into a woodland because you wouldn't be able to get out of your door because you'd be swallowed up in rubbish. You think about it, you think of the amount of rubbish that an average family produces, even just pure green material that can be composted down, forget all the non-biodegradable stuff, we wouldn't be able to move. But I mean, if you went into a woodland, you would be probably walking around the treetops, I should think, because all those shed branches and shed leaves that occur, certainly in deciduous woodland, on an annual basis, they'd be lying there, wouldn't they? They'd be packed around. Yes, you'd be hiking around the top of the branches. From the Open University... For more information, go to www.open.ac.uk forward slash use.